0: Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. If you haven't already, head over to YouTube and subscribe and like the most recent video. And also, if you can hit that bell button, you'll get notifications of when a new upload has been released. This episode is in paid partnership with The Flaw Journey. who offer mental health services online in the UK, Ireland, Europe, Australia, New Zealand and Asia. The Flaw Journey are a young team of fully qualified mental health counsellors and psychotherapists who work closely with young adults facing difficulties such as depression, anxiety, trauma, loneliness and most recently, their response to COVID-19. The Flawed Journey have a unique approach to normalise therapy whilst ensuring no individuals are put on a long waiting list or expected to pay large fees. The Flawed Journey are offering to shit talk and banter listeners their first therapy session free by using the discount code mentioned in the description below, talk free. You can connect with the team at their website, www. Flawjourney.com or on their Instagram page. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by Emma Nolan. How are you?
1: hi i'm good nathan how
0: are you i don't know why i always say how are you because like we've already had a chit chat beforehand <laughs> like and we had a long <laughs> chit chat um but yeah i was going to say should i call you doctor or not yet but you've only handed it in so you haven't actually like got the results yeah. so yeah have you
1: <laughs> well i have my final exam next week so uh, okay. if, you, if we had had this podcast this time next week you hopefully would have been calling me doctor. But,
0: ah, okay. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. we'll be calling you a doctor anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes the uh, the title of the podcast sound better if you have like a doctor on or something like that there.
1: <laughs> yeah, people are asking me to do like workshops and I'm like, we a week, it look better.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it just, it, I think people maybe think you know actually know what you're talking about if you have that behind you even though it doesn't feel like i know what i'm
0: talking about sometimes well that's the same with me like i like i like to think of myself as sort of like i know it all and um, i don't know if that's a good trait or not but um kind of like general knowledge sort of stuff but like yeah. i'll like say shit and it's like the most dumbed down version and like bro sciencey as much as you <laughs> can believe it could be <laughs> um but yeah fucking I'm so I'm so glad that I got you on because um, I really like talking about like psychology and stuff like that there how the brain works and emotions and all that there carry on so it's good that I got you on Emma actually my girlfriend Emma actually recommended Emma Nolan to come on um, so that was good <laughs> uh, but do you just want to introduce yourself for people who don't know you?
1: Yeah sure so my name's Emma as we've established and I currently work at Ulster University so I was doing my doctorate there and um, but now I'm, I've, I've got a job with them so my doctorate is in mental health and psychology and you know I've loved absolutely every second of it um, and as I say it's my final exams next week and then hopefully I'll be awarded my doctorate but I've been studying mental health and the development of mental health problems for I would say almost eight years now maybe over that and it's something that I'm extremely passionate about. You know, currently mm-hmm. um, I'm working on the first ever epidemiological survey of child and adolescent mental health in Northern Ireland. So oh, wow. it's really pioneering work for us here. And remarkably, there has never been a study of this kind in Northern Ireland. So, you know, children and young people today live in a world that is vastly different to the one even that you and I grew up in, Nathan, and, you know, we're around yeah. the same age. And the influence of social media and the internet and cyberbullying, you know, alongside school pressures, all of those things and exams have all contributed to the rising levels of anxiety and stress and mental health problems among children. So even before the global pandemic, like, arrived on our shores, mm-hmm. the mental health of young people is a concern. So, you know, the estimates, I think, are one in five children here in Northern Ireland um, have a mental health problem, which is, is, is huge numbers, mm-hmm. you know, and, Half of mental health disorders kind of develop before the age of 18. And yet we don't study child and adolescent mental health. So it's kind of a no-brainer then that this study has really taken off this year. I mean, it took years of planning, and I just happened to kind of finish my doctorate the year they were recruiting. So thankfully. Um, And Northern Ireland has its own unique demographic and history, obviously, as well, that should inform how we provide our services and policies here. So yeah, currently that's what I'm working on here. and um, we've gathered data. The findings will really um influence policies and how we treat services here in Northern Ireland. Um, and I suppose that's it. That's that's you up to date on me. I've just done a PhD and I'm undergrad here. My PhD here. Um, and now I'm working on one of the first studies of child and adolescent mental health in Northern Ireland.
0: That's amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose there's there's a lot that we can talk about there um, especially yeah. like you said about the demographics and uh northern Ireland. like it's i've seen online that like we have one of the highest suicide rates like uh in
1: europe, not yeah. per
0: capita but per person like compared to like yeah. the whole in the world or something like that there mm-hmm. and i think it's the highest in the uk too
1: yeah i think it's one of the highest in europe as well at the minute which is is pretty sad so there's loads of, of suicide work going on here in northern ireland um especially coming out of ulster university so they're doing great work yeah um, yeah but you know suicide isn't really my area of expertise i'm more um the development of mental health problems so you know trying to track them quite early on and what mm. causes and how they develop and really trying to find those areas that we could in those positions that we could intervene earlier mm. as opposed to Uh, only helping people when they're already in a clinical state you know and they're they're, they need clinical attention these kind of problems don't just come out of the blue you know there's always symptoms and and they're developmental so they develop over a period of time and really like if we can find ways to intervene and prevent them from becoming a clinical problem then hopefully we could lower the rates of suicide and mental health problems
0: what do you think it is that why there is such high levels of like depression sort of anxiety stress in Northern Ireland like I know it is worldwide but I mean obviously yeah. the numbers are high there what do you think it is
1: I mean I think for Northern Ireland it's a combination of a lot of things and um, and in terms of mental health in general we as a as a discipline we're always trying to figure out what is anxiety what is depression you know what is psychosis or schizophrenia when really what we should be looking at is what causes these problems um, as opposed to defining the the disorder right because like if you think about it the disorder is just the collection of the symptoms right and and the head of the the British psychological society actually describes this as a kind of Marcus Aurelius problem right like we, we need to stop asking what is this and start asking you know why do some people have anxiety and depression and other people don't right Mm. because one of the like we know the big predictors of mental health problems now we know that there are things like past trauma is a massive predictor we know that you know poverty immigration ethnic minorities and gender is a big prediction of it too so you know we really kind of know what the risk factors are poverty a massive one you know urbanicity living in cities they're big predictors too loneliness is a massive predictor so now that we kind of know what the predictors are and um, how can we use that to understand how they develop right and and one of the big things in northern ireland is probably poverty you know and um education and you know obviously the political demographic here there's a lot of like them and us type things going on so there are loads of things that can contribute to it and trauma you know the transgenerational trauma is a huge one too and and when we speak about transgenerational trauma it can be quite easy to think like oh you know if your parents were traumatized that they pass it on to their children which you think that's what the what it means right but really what transgenerational trauma is a product of is maybe the generation or the generation two generations before us were in the middle of a war, there was poverty going on, they didn't have the same educational uh, opportunities that we had, so then you have this generation of children that are born into poverty-stricken families, families that aren't educated, um, you know, beyond like GCSEs or A-levels, that have low-income jobs that are below the poverty line. So the transgenerational trauma is really an effect of of the history of our parents, Mm -hmm. Um, And children being born into poverty, low educational attainment, traumatic um, environments, you know, maybe parents have alcohol or drug problems, maybe parents have been in prison. So it is really this vast array, this myriad of of factors that are all intertwined that can cause the development of mental health problems, which is why we want to look now at the children and adolescents and see who are showing signs and symptoms of mental health problems, even at a subclinical level, and can we intervene and try and mediate those effects? So, I think the reason to answer your question uh, that the the rates are so high in Northern Ireland is because generations before us had a pretty hard time, uh, mm-hmm. I'm really and really only kind of coming, you know, maybe our parents' generation were probably still involved in that, and we are probably the generation that is born out of that. So, mm-hmm. um. It's why there's so much investment going into Northern Ireland now. You know, you see the likes of Derry and Belfast and there's so much money being pumped into the economy and education and jobs and getting people off um, like Job Seekers Alliance and getting them into things that they need to to have a purpose and to have a focus and to to try and pull and lower those mental health rates. So Mm -hmm. really, it's such a broad question because there are so many factors. But now that we know what they are, we can hopefully try and intervene and and reduce them
0: Mm -hmm. i think uh from like talking to a lot of people um, sorry just before this slips my mind i think whenever people say about poverty as well i think that like we always like assume poverty is like you see like drought and like africa and stuff like that you're living in like a hut but that's not the case like poverty is like someone like you said like on a low income they're in council housing or something like that
1: yeah Um, and no fault of their own right yeah. like it, it was the economy in northern ireland for so long like on both sides of this political debate people are in poverty people aren't getting the educational um opportunities that that they need to pull themselves out of it and it's very easy to say you know oh people don't want to work or you know they're on DLA or they're on this but that's that's not their fault it's a product of the system Mm -hmm. you know and and you we need to be the ones to help people get out of that we need to give people opportunity and that's the big thing I think you know even the philosophical arguments about mental health or that it's to do with poverty and education right like we used to think it was genetic for for years like only the last 20 years have people actually said no there are social determinants here you know it's not you're not born anxious you're not born depressed yeah you may have certain vulnerabilities to it but there are massive social determinants that we can change one being poverty two being education three being protection of young children and giving them the opportunities you know so even like setting up of youth clubs and And activities for children to be able to do like I think during the pandemic once those things were closed down there was an increase in um you know children getting involved in things and the riots and and things that shouldn't be getting involved in because they should have a place to go so there are so many social determinants that we know affect mental health development and that we could prevent if we if we tried
0: yeah definitely I think like I was going to say before whenever I've been speaking to like a lot of people and like obviously I know kind of from first-hand experience as well like whenever I was growing up and um, I kind of I didn't know I was in depression but looking back with hindsight I think I was in depression and um, and I mentioned before on one of my store or on one of my videos on Instagram that like people threw the word about and stuff like that there I think with COVID people do overuse it um and like i said in my video i'm not trying to diminish anyone's experience you have different experiences and stuff like that um but i think i've like pinpointed down to like two kind of things and this is just from a male perspective so i don't kind of know from what well, suppose one point is including uh both sides so i think one point would be like religion i think because ireland is especially northern ireland you have two major religions you have catholic and obviously Protestantism, and I feel like even before, like, Sinn Féin came about, Catholicism, they hated gays and stuff like that there. People, like, always seem to forget about that. And sort of like in the early noughties, we started to become more secular and we, we weren't really focusing too much on religion and stuff like that. Like, I know whenever I was younger, I went to mass and shit. Was, I was a fucking altar boy for Jesus Christ, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, uh, like if I tell anyone that, they just laugh at me. Um, but yeah, I used to be an altar boy and uh but like i feel because we've became more secular we're starting to come out of that but like the sort of foundations are still there with that religious sense and like you have to make sure that like you do everything that like your parents had done before so like you need to procreate really early you need to um make sure that like you're in financial stability to make sure that you can provide for your family like it's all mostly based on the family and then another point for males would be uh would be that like you have to see be seen as like this role model you have to be like very manly especially in Northern Ireland like like we talked about before I've traveled around the world and um I've seen in like different cultures and I feel like Northern Ireland's probably one of the one of the um places in the world where you have to be seen as a man and you can't look weak at all um mm-hmm. And I feel like those two sort of combinations of you trying to be a man and then also the religious sort of foundations that are in our society, I feel like they put so much stress on or stress on people. And it kind of obviously gets to a point where you're going through the emotions and then you're leading yourself into depression because you're like, I should be at this year stage, but I'm not. And then I should be more manly, but I'm not. Or do you know what I mean? So I think that the two the, the, that's the two points that I could try and pinpoint it to like would be sort of on top of the priority list but obviously you mentioned there's different things as well like generational trauma and yeah. your uh economic background and stuff like that but yeah. um would you would you agree with that would you see there there would be some sort of um i think it's
1: i think going back to your point about there being a religious element to to mental health in northern ireland i think for northern ireland and people that live in northern ireland it's 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 not so much about the religion because it's used as an excuse to pin people against each other and really it's fundamental political beliefs um, and which you know is a whole nother conversation but I personally believe that a belief system is important um, so that people have values and they have purpose and they have discipline. And that's really important for the development of mental health. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, be religious beliefs. You know, there's like a new wave of like spirituality and mindfulness and meditation, but but you have a belief system and it helps you process. You know how you should be what you should value what's important to you you know what you should focus on whether people realize it or not right and it is a kind of philosophical approach to it but when we think about the world around us and when we think about how we appraise our experiences or our expectations you know of our understanding about life and culture it it comes from our belief systems and we have to, you know, everyone has underlying biases that are influenced by your culture and your parents and your, your political background and all of that thing. But I think it's kind of been ingrained in the people of Northern Ireland that you have to choose, you know, a religious side. You have to choose a side in general um, when really it's kind of like a cop out, right? Like we it, yeah. it's nothing to do with religious beliefs and, and religion in the grand scheme of things. Yes, you know, of course, they've had their bad days, um, as has any institution. But ultimately, you know, they're not religion, aren't, aren't bad people. Right. And the religious aspect of life is not a bad concept. Um, and I think when you were speaking, I think the development of mental health is more to do with social determinants in terms of um, how you have been brought up to. Appraise your environment around you and and how you've learned to deal with situations and cope with situations. And that's really important for children to be able to taught how to do that. And we're not taught how to do that in our school system, right? Like mental health and well-being is not something that's taught. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that we're born with either. And I think maybe the Irish people and, or people of Northern Ireland, a religious background is a core component of that because that's how they've been raised. And that is kind of like a cultural thing of Ireland is, mm-hmm. is religion and religious uh exploration and things like that but i don't necessarily think it's a cause of mental health problem um when you really dig down into the nitty gritty of it you know like mm-hmm. the, it's to do with values and it's to do with beliefs and it's to do with how you've been taught to deal with things that have happened to you right yeah of um, course and and maybe you know grown up with a religious affiliation um it might have been that people, you know, oh, it's fine, you know, like maybe God will deal with it, or it'll be grand, or you go to confession, or you know, you be a man and you get on with it, and that's not a good valued values to be instilling in young men, especially, right? Like mm-hmm. people need to be taught how to deal with it, and um, you can't just kind of brush it under the carpet and hope that it will sort itself out. But I don't necessarily think it links up with religion. I think it's just an effect of our culture, and um, but really there are much deeper. Problems that need addressed, this, the religion and the political aspects, I think, are, are the surface and they're the symptoms that come out of how we've been culturally appropriated. Mm. That's does a good that make point. sense? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it does.
0: It, it, it makes sense. Um, you're basically saying my answer is shit. So fuck up, Nathan. I know what I'm talking about. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, think, I
1: think people need to be taught to see past that. Yeah. That's what I think, right? It's not it's not religion it's not politics it's you know you are in charge of what you believe you're in charge of how you feel you're in charge of the actions that you take and it's a cop out i think to blame it on politics and blame it on religion and they 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 don't go together in that sense and in northern ireland it's just been a real you know you go to america they'll probably blame it on the government right or they'll blame it on the the republicans or the liberalists or you know every culture kind of has their own system that they blame all of their problems on and the systems are responsible for it and to a certain degree especially governments and policies and political systems and educational systems but ultimately there are there are deeper issues that need dealt with and they're the kind of symptoms of all of those effects that's what i think no that that
0: makes sense Um, and whenever we were talking about the religion sort of thing there and it was funny because like (laughs) people like sort of have that big mass of stigma especially in northern Ireland, about like seeking out for help like i know i, I know it's changed now with social media and stuff like that and yeah. people are reaching out for help which is great um but before social media it was kind of like um oh you don't go see a therapist you go see your priest and you do confession something like that there and um, which which is kind of
1: that done a lot of good for people right yeah. like like when people have that remove the your religious kind of biases, remove what you think about religion or the religious institution for there to be someone that someone can go and confide in Mm -hmm. in terms of their mental health and well-being is huge, right? And that's a massive benefit of having a belief system and having values and core values that are good. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you can have values that are shit (laughs) and all the actions will be shit that follow that. But if you have a system that, that promotes good, which ultimately the religion religions try to do. They might not do it well all of the time, but their core beliefs, especially in Christianity, are to be good people, yeah. right? And if you have a value system that is based on that, it it it's good for well-being. It's good for socialization. It's good for purpose. It's good for community. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's like a philosophical debate now that the reason... You know, mental health rates are rising, and you know, you have this generation of 20 year olds that are in existential crises, is because they have lost those belief systems, right? Like, you know, for example, our parents were maybe born into a system where they're like, you know, you go to school, you go to mass, you get a husband or a wife, you have kids, and you get a trade and you work, right? And they had a direction. Now you have like a generation of people that are born into kind of like an abundance of opportunity, right? Like you can travel the world anywhere in the world that you want to go. You can go to university. You can have whatever job you want if you put your mind to it. So now, you know, and like you were saying, oh, you're supposed to get married and you're supposed to have kids, but that's not the way things are anymore. So now you have a generation of people that are born into like, what am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Right? Like I don't have a path that I'm, am I supposed to get married and have kids and have a mortgage by the time I'm 25? Am I supposed to travel the world and, you know, experience everything before I'm 30? Am I supposed to stay in education? So now you have all of this opportunity and people are like, I don't know what to do with it, right? So it goes, mm. it, It's it, it sounds paradoxical that you're like, well, you have so much more opportunity than what we had, but yeah, like, what am I supposed to do with it? Like, yeah. what's right, what's wrong? And then you have people feeling like that tug of, of w- w- what am I supposed to do with my life, right? And then that leads into that existential kind of like, what what's the point of doing anything so yeah so that's why I think beyond the politics beyond the religion beyond any of that to have a system that you can attach your values to is so important for development and direction and ultimately well-being
0: yeah definitely I I 100% agree with you and I've probably said it so many times on my podcast but like and people are probably sick of me saying I must like make some t-shirts but I'm agnostic (laughs) so (laughs) I believe that um, there is something that created us, but I believe, like, all religions, um, like, none of them can be right. Like, Muslims are right. saying that Prophet Muhammad, we're saying Jesus. Um, so, but I totally understand what you're saying. Like, I think the teachings from all those different books, like, Jews, Muslims, um, from uh, Christians, I, I think it's amazing. Like, all the teachings are what it is to, like, lead a good life. and um the values that you that you take from like the stories like yeah they may be like airy fairy sort of fucking stories but i mean you can take a purpose from the story and you can take the value from the story and that's what i kind of admire about it um but uh yeah i don't know why i was trying to say that yeah it was just it was bouncing off your point um
1: yeah. i mean people people are are often like they go to like the buddhist teachings right because yeah
0: buddhism as well
1: okay because they they can relate with it right they can they can relate with the teachings you know be good do good you know all all like Marcus Aurelius they're all philosophers they're all teachers they're all preachers to a certain extent and they're trying to teach people how to live a life that's worth living Mm -hmm. and you know apart from those like extremist religion religious beliefs Religion ultimately any religion ultimately tries to do that too. I mean, I don't know about all religions, so I can't speak for them all. But mm-hmm. but the ones you mentioned, they are trying to teach people how to live good, yeah. happy, fulfilled lives. And and I think people are, you can take a lot of the religious teachings quite literally when they're not supposed to be that way. They mm-hmm. were trying to teach people two thousand years ago how to live. And there's yeah. there's a saying like in in you know in the religious kind of philosophies that you have to look at these teachings through a first century Jew because they were mm. the people that were hearing them, yeah. right? Like if you went to Japan as someone from Belfast and tried to teach them how we live, you know, and our cultural, how we live culture, they'd be like, what? No. So, yeah. so something that somebody taught people 2,000 years ago def- ne- doesn't necessarily translate to 2021. Well,
0: do you know what I'm thinking about now as you're talking about this? Look at Amish people. They don't use electricity.
1: Right right so so i think people read it and they go oh it's so shit and all you know like uh, all these stories are airy fairy but but really what they're trying to do is just have a teaching behind it and you know not coming on here to like try and convert people <laughs> but i just think it, i think it's the biggest kind of value system that we can relate to obviously coming from ireland yeah. um and and there there are reasons why it has worked for 2000 years because it teaches people how to integrate into society and socially communicate and and be good right like and now as I was saying the more people move away from that the more you have those existential crisis and identity crisis and people don't Mm -hmm. know who they are what they want where they're going and and that can be very difficult And it's definitely a massive driver of mental health problems I think is Mm -hmm. not having a value system that you can learn to live by
0: yeah well what you touched on there before um you said about like people like feel stuck that's what i kind of wanted to like talk to you about as well um, and yeah. like whenever you've been brought up in a society it's like go to uni meet a girl get her pregnant move in the house together get a mortgage do all this before you're 25 the amount of stress yeah. that puts on people is fucking ridiculous and um, yeah but then afterwards, if you don't do that, you kind of like I'm 26 now. So I, like I kind of feel like uh, what kind of path am I supposed to be on? And then that puts more stress on me because I'm like, oh, fuck, like I need to have a job before I'm 30. I need to make sure I have a career and blah, blah, blah. Do you kind of have like um any tips sort of and not tips in a sense, but do you have like sort of guidelines that you would? follow to sort of get yourself unstuck like say like someone like is stuck right now like what would you say to them to get them unstuck
1: well first of all i think this is massive in the i in the the work of existentialism right it's like what 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 do i know to be true and the treatment for a lot of these problems are often cognitively based right like you must redefine what you believe to be true right? Not what society believes to be true, not what your culture or your religion or your demographic believes to be true. Um, And in order to do that, we must find new sources of meaning, right? More fundamental definitions of identity and purpose and, Mm -hmm. and ways of relating with the world. And that's why if we can learn to kind of cognitively do that now, you know, when there comes a time that you might feel stuck and, you know, your mental scaffolding needs adjusted or tightened or realigned, that you learn to do it automatically, right? And when, and when you're challenged in such a way that you're like, what am I doing? There are, there are like in the, in the research or in the literature, there are kind of three questions that, that, that you should ask yourself. And, and the first one is what is true? What's true around you? The second is this idea of what do you believe to be true? And then how should I live based on what I believe, right? And things that affect that are life, culture, politics, pandemics, right? And it becomes difficult to answer those questions the more they're kind of compounded by all of those issues when people are kind of pulling you this way or that way. And in many ways, you know, that sort of philosophical approach to it is exactly what many therapies were designed to help people to do right like meditation and journaling they're useful because they're forcing you to think about what's going on around you and using those types of tools to kind of reevaluate your values and shift your beliefs and and take new actions to create a better life for yourself is progressively changing your environment right not becoming stagnant in one thought process or one way or you know learning to think in a way that won't derail you and help you deliver and develop principles that direct your actions and it's 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 easier said than done because you are being pulled in so many different directions right like I'm I've just turned 28 and I'm finishing my PhD right and like culturally people especially my family I'm the first in my family to do it and people are like well what's a PhD right like they don't even know what it is right (laughs) To them, and they're like, yeah, but like when are you gonna get married? Like, when are you gonna have kids? Like yeah. you're 28. And I'm like, listen, like this is what I want to do right now. And it becomes that you have to make your own goals, you have to make your own values, you have to take control of what you want. If getting married and having kids and settle down is what you want, then do it. If it's not what you want, then don't do it, right? And and it's that simple. You you find something that you want to do you point your actions at it and you do everything that you can to do it. And you're not confined by, you know, your your culture or your societies. And, you know, that will always be twisted and fitted to, to kind of like, so you can fit in and socialize, obviously. But, but there are real world implications if you ignore that. And, you know, George Orwell, like famously said, to see what's in front of your nose requires a constant struggle. It's difficult to do, right? Like it's difficult to see what you're doing, where you're going, who you want to be. And and some people, especially in psychology, like we're like, mm, it's a bit early for, you know, like where you get people sitting down and talk about how they're feeling. But it works. like my PhD title is literally how does that make you feel, right? Because it's the most cliche term in psychology. How does that make you feel? But we don't use it enough. Like we don't ask people, what do you want to do? Yeah. And like I was saying earlier, we are born into like, a life of opportunity now especially I mean I don't know your demographics of your listeners but speaking you and I and, and probably the majority of the population in Northern Ireland are born into education systems now that, that push them to be the best that they can be right and whenever you you whatever you believe that you know to be true and that you want to be true it's never really true right like we're all kind of just flapping around in this abyss going like how am I? what am I supposed to do like how am I supposed to construct my time and my efforts and um, and we're doing everything to try and keep ourselves af- afloat in that sense and if it's impossible to definitively answer the question what is true right like if you can't answer that question then you then another way of asking it is what is worth believing in mm-hmm. right and this is what I love about this idea of like, choosing the life that you want you have to choose what you're willing to fight for and it might sound kind of like corny or cheesy but you have to decide what you want what demands your attention but more importantly what deserves it Mm. what's worth the risk and when you think of it in this way like what do i want out of life right like if, if i ask you what do you want out of life It's you're like, I don't know, you know, like I want to be happy or I want to be rich or, you know, I want to have a nice fancy house and a nice fancy car. And whatever you decide that you want to have out of life, then you have to decide what struggles you're willing to face to do it. Mm. Because life is full of struggles. Nothing is handed to us. Nothing. And it's arrogant to think that you're deserving of something because no one really is. Right. You have to decide what you want to face. None of us have the privilege of not having a struggle, you know, and that's a more useful approach to figuring out what you want if you feel stuck, right? Like, you know, you want a fancy corner office and a company credit card and the company car, but are you willing to suffer 60 hour working weeks to get it, Mm -hmm. right? People want to be really toned and really ripped and really strong, but are you willing to struggle through the pain of gym sessions, nutrition cuts, right, to get it? And that, I think, is a realistic way of lining up those values that we were talking about and lining up goals, mm-hmm. it's easy for people to say, "I want this." But are you willing to actually fight to get it? Right? Or are you just going to settle for what you think society says you should have, your parents say you should have, you know, your environment says you should have? And if you want to make yourself get up and go and more industrious and more resilient, then you have to specify your goals. Like you have to do it. It's not enough to kind of sit around and think oh, I think I would like that I think I would like that because it won't work it won't it won't come to fruition you have to do it because how can you hit something how can you get something if you don't know what it is and it goes beyond mindless goal setting exercises right see people would just say write down your goals you you have to specify what you truly want and people are reluctant to do that because they don't they don't want to specify their condition for failure, right? If I say I want yeah. this and get it, am I going to look like an idiot? Right? They won't stand against it. And you know, with anything in life that's worth having and it's worth fighting for, it's gonna be a struggle. And it's easy then for people to kind of settle and say, "Well, do you know what? Like, I don't doesn't matter. I don't. I don't want that." Or, but, but. You have to remove that mindset for what people are choosing for you. Right? You have to remove that mindset of what people think is right for you because only you can decide that, right? Not your partner, not your parents, not your family. They can have an influence and they can support you and they can maybe slap you out of it if your goals are like, you know, want to be Hugh Hefner in the Playboy Mansion and be like, okay, Nathan, calm down. That's not going to (laughs) happen. That's a good goal. (laughs) But goals. Goals and goals setting that, if we want to get into that, they have to be realistic, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to know what you're capable of doing. Yeah. And all of that experience, all of that change, all of that support really fosters a healthy mindset if you use it in the correct way, right? Like, difficult things are coming. That's part of being human, right? Mm-hmm. And not a lot of people are willing to accept that and to consciously work towards that and they allow it to knock them down and i'm not saying like oh you have to stand tall whenever a struggle happens like yeah you get knocked down and you feel like shit and you know you wonder what the purpose of it all is but you have to pull yourself back up Mm -hmm. right and and it's a hard truth in that sense because you know our systems especially our mental health system often doesn't treat people until they're in a clinical state right Mm -hmm. and that's why really passionate about intervening early and t- giving people the tools to stand back up themselves not wait for you know your gp or your doctor to refer you to mental health services because likely that'll only happen if you're at a clinical level and you really really need help yeah but you were saying if you're just feeling a bit low you're just having a bit low mood don't really know what to do kind of lost a bit of your spunk you need to find ways to get that back and pull yourself up out of it before it snowballs and becomes mm a more prolonged depressive episode. Yeah. Right.
0: Do you think it's okay to um to go through the emotions for a small short period and then pick yourself absolutely. back up again?
1: Absolutely. You have to. You know, it's it's absolutely you know, it's that like negative or what is it, false positivity or something. Like yeah you can't go, Oh, it's grand, I'll be fine, be positive. That's a load of crap. And that has contributed to so many mental health problems, especially in men. You'll be grand. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's like the slogan of Northern Ireland, you'll be grand, <laughs> right? Like, hold on a minute, let me process it. Of course, you need time to process, you need time to work through it. But there comes a time, I think, when people need a bit of a hard truth, right? Yeah. Unless they're really clinically depressed. I'm not I'm not speaking about clinical levels here when I speak. I'm speaking about the general population. It's completely normal for the general population to go through low moods, to go through, you know, waves of anxiety or anxious times and completely normal. We're human, right? Like we have all of the spectrum of emotions. But at the end of the day, you have to be the one, again, speaking general population, to pull yourself up out of it right you have to give yourself a purpose and there's a saying in therapy right like it's really hard to help someone that doesn't want to be helped because you need to want it and that's when it comes back to you need to choose what you're willing to struggle for right you need to choose your values you need to choose what you want and then you aim at it Mm -hmm. and that's not saying that it'll be easy of course it won't be easy right but you ha- and you have to be willing to accept that like take setting goals for example it's not a life or death situation right yeah. you're not going to die if you don't reach your goal hopefully yeah. but many people won't do it because they're afraid of all of the struggles that will come along with it whether they realize it or not right and it's this idea of like blind willfulness, right? You're just blindly going into to an environment and you don't know how to react. You don't know how to appraise it. You don't know how to, you know, what tools you need to get over it. And and there's a saying in, in mental health that you need to provide people with a toolbox. You know, if you call a plumber and go, listen, there's a leak in my sink here. well do you know what it is? I have no idea, mate, I'm not a plumber. He'll just come with a toolbox with all of the potential tools that feel yeah. need, right? Do I need a wrench? Do I need, I don't know, a screwdriver? I don't even know what tools plumbers would use. You know, a plunger. Plunger. <laughs> <laughs> like they come with all of these tools and then whatever difficulty they're faced with, right, I need this tool today. I need this tool today. But, you know, it's completely normal to, to go through the motions. Um, and if, but if they start to become prolonged, then I think you have to try and pull yourself out of it. And if you can't pull yourself out of it and it's really, really difficult, then you know, you've got the likes of what Em is doing with the flawed journey. You know, you've got counseling, you've got services that you can go to to get help. Mm. But in order to be referred, like through the NHS, especially here in Northern Ireland, it's it's difficult because our services are so underpowered. There's not enough clinicians and there's not enough therapists to get referred immediately. I think, you know, people are on the waiting list for like six and nine months sometimes, yeah. which isn't right, but you know, so so we need to try and help people help themselves in that yeah. sense, right? And that's why it's so important for, you know, and, and that's why I try and do what I do on social media. Like, you know, let me try and give you the tools to help yourself even a little bit. And, you know, then you can go and get the therapy and the counselling and the services that you need to kind of bolster that. But we really need to learn to teach children and teach teach young adults and even adults how to use psychological tools to help themselves. <laughs>
0: yeah i i think what you what you uh said there before about being specific with your goals like it's not like you're not going to get by just saying you want it like you can't just yeah. say oh i want to have a six pack like you're gonna have to be specific on like what date you want to see progress by like what date like how many times you're going to go to the gym for a week how much time you're going to put into that uh gym session and um, what your food's going to be like even like writing a book like writing a book you like if you're with a publisher, you have to stick by their deadlines. But if you say like you're self-publishing, like you need to be really strict with yourself and be specific, like, right. The release date's going to be this date. That means all these weeks beforehand, I have to do X, Y, and Z. I have 12 chapters, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I think that's what like a lot of people get confused about, especially on social media. Like you said, people are just saying like, oh, you need to write down your goals. But that's, that's bullshit. You need to be specific about what the goals is that you're going to be writing down. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and there's like there's you know I read a bit greasily and it was on goal setting and the first line was like stop setting them right like stop setting goals and 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 it's funny there's a reason that he says this but you know you've got the goal setting as you say and you know that that acronym SMART right specific yeah. measurable Tony achievable. Robbins
0: wasn't it who came up well, with that?
1: I think so I'm not sure yeah. but you know like specific measurable achievable relevant and time specific I think yeah. what they mean but but what happens when you have a goal that's that's not specific, mm. right? Like, you know, sometimes what we want isn't specific. You know, for example, I might say something like, "You know, I want to do better with my nutrition." How do you measure that, right? There are certain things that aren't measurable. You know, well, obviously, if it's nutrition, you maybe count calories. You know, how many chocolate bars you eat or donate, and you know, and 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 what other people are advising you, the weight your scales but it's it's more difficult to measure specifically right and it's common to see people say i want to lose weight but you know like and this comes back to values right like i want to lose weight that that's my goal right what are your values that surround this goal well i just want to lose weight and people could do that in a really unhealthy way like they could just starve themselves for like 10 Mm. days right so so their values are shit in that sense it goes back to your values being shit you know just juice plus supplements or whatever and of course the week comes off you're going to start on just
0: plus
1: (laughs) (laughs) like they look like they're hitting their specific goal but really they're doing more damage than good right and this is where people can come into difficulty with goals and goal setting
0: Mm. because
1: when the goal becomes more difficult to measure like happiness right like what's your goal i want to be happy Mm. What is that? how do you measure happiness happiness for different people is different things yeah you know like um so so we have to take a different approach then when it comes to that and this is where this idea of like general goals comes into it you know it's not enough to say i want to be healthier or i want to have better nutrition or i want to be happier right like or, i want to have more money because they're endless and mm. eternal you, you never finish being healthy you never finish being happy and um, so that over reliance on specific goal setting is bad for your mental health and it's bad for your well being because you burn out. Yeah. Like you can only do that shit for so long, you know. And and in in the kind of fitness industry now, there's this this idea floating around like, what's your why? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, why are you doing this? When it comes back to that, like, what's worth fighting for? What's your struggle? It, it, anything you think of can come back to what we were previously discussing about. And it's big in training and fitness industries at the minute because it works, right? Like, yeah. an instructor doesn't want you to come in and go, I want to be skinny. Yeah, but why? Why do you want, you know, really, that's probably a much deeper problem, right? Like, if you think you, you're you going to be skinnier, do you, you think you're going to be happier? You know, do you think your mental health is going to be better? So, you know, in that sense, you need both general and specific goals to do that. Yeah. You- Specific goal to be excited about something and be motivated, and you know, I'm going to lose a stone or I'm going to gain 10 pounds of muscle or whatever it is. But you need the general goals to maintain that, yeah. Right? So you're losing weight because you want to be healthier, not because you want to be skinnier, right? And and so that's why instead of setting goals, there's this idea of setting habits now, right? Like stop yeah. goals and set habits and, and that works because when we over obsess about our goals, you know, we can sacrifice what makes those goals meaningful in the first place.
0: Yeah. I think, um, uh, what you said there about the habits, especially, um, I just finished reading the James clear book and, uh, it atomic habits and it was amazing. Like he's basically saying that like, yeah it's good to have goals but like it's all based on your habits and like consistency is the key even if like you say like we're on the the topic of gym um or fitness like even if you just like walk to the gym and you go to the gym and like say you don't even work out and then you go out you've still stuck to that habit of going to the gym yeah
1: Yeah. which is amazing (laughs) over time like when you do have like when you integrate habits over time they become much easier to do and, you know, and you can't set goals. And this kind of comes back to what you're saying about like, you know, what people's expectations of you. The most common reason that we fall into the trap of setting specific goals is because we let others dictate what they should be. Mm. Right. We look around and we see people making a ton of money or taking holidays to Dubai in the middle of a pandemic or working out three times a day and looking like the audition for fucking Baywatch. And we think like, you know, well, they seem happy. So yeah. should I be doing that, right? Like, and we adopt their goals, we adopt their routines and we adopt their values. And it pisses me off to see these Instagram freaking fitness coaches say, you know, in order to earn more money, be happier, be healthier. You know, you need to get up at five o'clock, you need to run into the sea and do a cold water dip, right? Like you need to dance on the fucking beach journal, work out, be grateful for what you have, read a chapter of some self-health book. Yeah. Right, and that it's bullshit, right? Because it doesn't work, and it's it's showing people or it's teaching people this idea, these values that this is what you need to do to be happy, and then people do it, and then they're not happy, and it doesn't work for them, and then you're into that vicious cycle. So those things aren't enough, right? Like we can't let people set our goals, and it really is this idea of, of going inwards and well, you, and Sorry, go ahead.
0: Do you know what's a good example of that? Um yeah. people like think you have to get up early in the morning to work out and then that's going to set like a good routine fair enough that could work for some people but for others it doesn't yeah. and a good yeah. example is conor mcgregor he hates training early in the morning he'd rather I, do yeah. it at 11 o'clock at night <laughs> do you know what I'm i mean just,
1: And for a while i was falling into that like oh fuck like it's eight o'clock like i should have been up at five o'clock and i'm like why am i, I putting this pressure on myself to mm-hmm. get up at five o'clock fit into like kind of this cultural societal norm of this is what you 4 should 4am club it's a little <laughs> shit right and like if land in bed in the morning with a cup of tea and a good Netflix show makes you happy and <laughs> helps your well-being then do that yeah. right like and that's what a co- that keeps coming back to that idea of what do you value and you stick to that because see when you start trying to live your life to other people's values and other people's expectations it's the recipe for disaster Mm -hmm. you need to invest in goals that you think are worthwhile yeah you need to make sure your goals are for yourself and many people confuse what they value for what others around them value right Mm -hmm. gives a shit like people project so much onto you right like you know even like if i'm doing a phd and people say things like i know but like would you not rather settle down (laughs) no I would not rather settle down. This is my career, and this is what I want to do. And often people yeah. are projecting because they're looking like at you going, "I wish I could do that." You know, yeah. not necessarily me, but but when people project what you should be doing, it's probably something to do with themselves and not actually what they think you should be doing because they probably don't give a shit about yeah. what you're doing, really. Ultimately, right? It, it's not the same thing. And if you confuse them, you could very well spend years of your life. Yeah. People pleasing and doing something that does not make you happy so it really is trying to find that balance of specific and general goals right yeah. and integrating what you think is worthwhile
0: well like what you said there like about people like saying oh you should be doing this they're only saying that because they're coming from a envious chelsea place and they're you're kind of like you're like a reflection of what they want to be in a way um, and yeah. so that that's what i would like put it down to like they like yeah. I know it's kind of cliche to like say, or they're just saying that because they're jealous, but like, no, they're like really hurting deep down inside because they wish that they could have done not like something exactly that like you're doing, but like something sort of similar to that in a way. And yep. um I, I think uh, what you mentioned before as well about the fear aspect, especially with like writing down your goals. Like, I, th- I think like there is a big factor of people are really scared to go in and look deep down inside themselves and say, oh like i'm just going to set myself from failure and if i put this up online and like i don't stick to it like what are people going to think of me and like that fear just like clouds the goal setting and then they don't even write down their fucking goals
1: yeah yeah you gotta write that shit down and when i started my phd actually three years ago now i got one of the best pieces of advice from uh one of the professors and she said you know, what do you want to do when this is over? And I was
0: like, I don't know, I've
1: we'll only started. <laughs> like, well, you know, like this will it'll come to an end, you'll be finished. And what what do you want to do when it's over? And she was really pushing me to kind of set a goal. And when you pick what you want to do, so I decided, well, I think I might want to go into academia and want to go into research. And she was like, right, well, will print off job specifications for those jobs and spend the next three years of your PhD hitting every single one of the criteria, Right. <laughs> Like, what do they expect? Because a PhD in the industry now is not enough, right? Like, I, any job I apply for, someone else also has a PhD. So, you know, when you decide what you want to do, then you have to go, right, I want to do that. I'm going to aim everything at it. But how am I actually also going to stand out, especially when it comes to, like, employment and, and education and stuff like that, too? So I did. I did what you said. I printed off a job specification, and then I spent three years ticking off every single criteria. And then when I went for the job interview, they were like, you know, I don't even know why we're interviewing you. Like, you've got the job. So, <laughs> so you, have to, you have to make sure that you're setting yourself up yeah. for success, right? Like, it doesn't come, it just doesn't come and land on your lap. Getting up at five in the morning and going for cold water therapy is not going to make you successful. Mm-hmm. Those actions are good for discipline, for routine, for focus. But, you know, you need to be compounding that with everything else that you want to do. And I yeah. think it's easy, and I think that's the, the problem with social media. It's easy to portray that that's all, that's that's what makes people happy. You know, I do this every day and I'm grand. It's not enough.
0: Yeah, I think a good example <laughs> of that. Another good example is uh, Joe Rogan. Whenever he was younger, he used to um, train in taekwondo. And then... He started teaching children uh, classes and then he went to a boxing club and then he realized that wow, there's a different level. I thought I was good with my hands and my feet, but I've actually went into this here gym and there's killers in here and he was just getting bashed about and like I think it was like whenever he was uh, 22, 24, he was like just thinking like what the fuck am I doing with my life? Like I'm just in here like teaching these kids. like am I actually like happy doing this? like is this making me happy? And then he was just like, fuck it. I'm going to go and I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I'm just going to go and focus on my comedy. Cause he was doing uh, comedy standups and um, like small clubs and stuff like that. But then once he like put pen to paper and like, he started going at that, giving all his attention for that and being specific on what he wanted. He's fucking one of the biggest comedians in the world. Now, and he's got one of the biggest podcasts. And that's another thing as well, that I suppose is kind of good about doing one sort of specific thing you don't know where what life's gonna lie for you like there's people like the rock who thought he was going to be a, a an nfl footballer and he's ended up being an actor and he never thought that that would happen and yep. it's just crazy what like your goals yep. like could take you to like they may not be what you want them to be but at the end you'll sort of be happy with something else yep yeah
1: and i think that's why it's important to always be pushing yourself too and and I think it's been difficult for people in the pandemic to be able to do that and to, to try and find ways to find purpose for themselves. But it's so vital for our well-being to actually have goals and purpose and direction. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, so many therapeutic approaches work whenever they're, they're trying to help people reappraise their lives in that way. You know, like what what do you actually enjoy doing? And I know people will say like, oh, it's a privilege to enjoy to do what you enjoy, and and maybe that's that is, you know, right to a certain extent. But it shouldn't stop you from trying. Yeah. You know, like just because you you might not have the opportunity or the ability or the financial ability to do it, it shouldn't stop you from at least trying even on a smaller scale, to work towards something that makes you happy, and it comes down to really setting realistic goals, and that's hard for people, you know, yeah. you have to kind of put your hands up and say, what is realistic, you know, am I going to be the first person on Mars? Probably not, but, you know, could I go and study something about space, or engineering, or whatever it is that you're interested in, in that realm, So, so people really, I think, to help their well being and help their purpose and direction, they really need to drill down into what it is I want to do, what makes me happy, and what am I worth? What do I find worthwhile? You know, and in, in suffering to kind of get that.
0: See, with that argument, with uh, I'm not I'm not going to have a go at you or anything because I know you just like said about someone um saying or like you were just speaking generally about like that privilege sort of thing. I think that's a pile of bullshit because <laughs> you see people like the likes of like conor mcgregor who was on the dole five years ago and now he's making millions he had all those environmental yeah
1: yeah. and then
0: like people like rappers as well like coming out of america like they're coming out like racial hotbeds in fucking america and they're coming up from being in the ghetto and they're pursuing their like happiness and they're making I i don't know if money was the incentive but like they're out of there so like I kind of think that, like, that privilege sort of thing is just, like, it's it's kind of nonsense in a way. That, that's just my opinion.
1: I agree. That's why I brought it up. That's why I said some people will probably say it's a privilege. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, like, because people, and I've seen it online, you know, people promoting, like, go and follow your dreams and people saying things, you know, it's a privilege to be able to do that. I have a family and I have kids and I can't do that. And, and oh, right, fair enough. But it's your responsibility to make your life as good as you can. It's yeah. nobody else's, right? it's nobody else's responsibility to make you happy you have to be the one to do that and yeah. and that is exactly what what, what working towards your goals should be mm-hmm. it should be to live a life that you enjoy living and that's when it comes down to those kind of general goals right like No, you don't want to lose two stone because you want to be skinny. It's deeper than that, right? Like you don't want to to be a millionaire because you want to be rich. It's deeper than that. All those specific goals have a much deeper layer to them. And it's up to people to figure out themselves. And therapy helps because it helps people talk it through and talk it out. Because a lot of the time people don't know how to process their own thoughts and their own emotions. And that's why therapeutic interventions work because Mm. they force people to do it but ultimately it's, it's our own responsibility to do it. And it's a cop-out, as I was saying, to blame religion, to blame politics, to blame privilege, you know, like there are ways that, that you can work towards that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Totally agree. And um, do you believe in manifestation and sort of like the law of attraction?
1: So I actually did a workshop on manifestation recently and I kind of, The the word manifestation jars me because I don't think you can think something into reality in the way that they describe it, right? Mm -hmm. Or the way that it's perceived, perhaps I should say, because I don't necessarily think that's the way that it's intended. But the idea of manifestation works because it focuses you to realign your focus. What do you want? It comes back to that every single time what do you want right and if you start manifesting it you're inadvertently directing your actions to get that right like like you can't you cannot physically sit in a chair and manifest a million pound like it's not gonna happen. right yeah. like realistically it's not gonna happen but if you if that's what you desire and that's what you want and you actually start working towards it then the manifestation is working in the sense that it has forced you to align your goals, right? It's forced you to decide what you want to do, and then you start working towards it. Mm. And to me, that's why it works. In the in when it does work, is because people then start to align their actions, and they start to align what they're doing, and they start to be more focused. And you know, I whenever. <laughs> whenever I started my PhD, I I do yoga with a girl here and she's fabulous, but she would do manifestation, close your eyes. What do you want? What do you want? And in my head, all I could say was the finished article, right? (laughs) It's not just going to appear. I have to physically write the fucking thing, right? Like it's not just going to land on my desk one day. So I think manifestation is good in the sense that it makes you be mindful. It forces mindfulness, it forces you to think about what you want it forces you to go through the procedures that you might need to get it but i think it can be misaligned and people say and you can think it into reality you have to actually work for it it's not just going to appear on your lap
0: yeah true i believe that yeah. too i, I actually yeah. never thought of it like that like i always like said like uh, sub subconsciously like you're doing things to attract that but like what you said your actions you're doing it inadvertently like you're not actually thinking about it which is a great yeah. way sort of to sort of put yep. it and yeah. sort of the, the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about was uh your actual PhD thesis and um, I'm so glad that I said th- thesis and not feces because i said it overnight <laughs> to emma and i was like see if i say this wrong i swear to fuck i'm gonna sound like such a moron <laughs> but uh yeah so what did you I, I know you were saying that you were um you, you give us a title before and uh, you're obviously yeah. working towards uh, intervention at an early age to avoid mental illness and stuff like that so what kind of was your actual thesis on
1: Okay, so, well, it's, it's very statistically orientated, so I won't bore you with that, but basically what I, I did was, we, when we assess someone in mental health services, right, so if we assess someone for anxiety or depression, psychosis, whatever it is, we use assessment measures, right, and we score people, and mine focused mostly on the development of psychosis because I was really, really interested in the development of beliefs. For some reason, I think probably being Irish, mm. we're a really superstitious country. Yeah. And when you look at superstition, it's kind of borderline and you know, I don't want to say because people have so much stigma attached with these words, but it is a bit obsessive, it's a bit compulsive, right? Yeah. Like, oh, don't don't put new shoes on the table or something bad might <laughs> yeah. like happen. So it's an anxiety, right? And so, on my undergrad, I was really interested in beliefs and the development of beliefs, development of political beliefs, all the different types of beliefs, and how that aligns with our mental health. Then, like, hard hard is it if people are more superstitious, are they going to be more anxious? Are they going to be more worried? Um. So ultimately, it kind of led to to that idea that that our how we act, how we think, all of that is really multifaceted, right? But our system will ask people quite binary questions and by binary i mean the response is usually yes or no Mm -hmm. right Uh, have you ever you know felt like you couldn't leave the house yes but that's not really getting into like what the problem is right so so i focus mostly on psychosis which is um Mm -hmm. certain hallucinations certain delusions um it can include anxiety and can include depression but I focus mo- mostly on hallucinations and delusions. And one of the questions, for example, they ask is something like, you know, have you ever heard something that nobody else heard? Right. And people say, well, yeah, like, yeah, I've heard that. And that's marked as an auditory hallucination. Right. Like you, no one else heard it. It's a hallucination. So then we had this kind of catch 22 where like 90 percent of the population were right? Because the, the questions were asked in a binary way.
0: Sorry, I think it just like cut off there. Like for a second, you paused. Uh, what mm-hmm. did you say? Sorry. Just like literally like three seconds ago.
1: <laughs> so, um, We would ask questions like, have you ever heard something that nobody else heard? Yes. And people would say, yeah, yeah, you know, everyone's heard that. So then we had this this problem where we had 90% of the general population scoring really highly on a psychosis measure, right? Because we were asking the questions in a way that didn't differentiate risk, right? Like who's actually having an auditory hallucination or a visual hallucination or a delusion and a delusion can be like paranoia it can be you know thinking that you're getting messages sent through the tv or radio you think someone's following you you think people can hear your thoughts they're all examples of delusions right but they can also occur in everyday life Mm -hmm. right like sometimes people think the person on the tv is directly talking to them right like that message was meant for them so what I did then was I extended the measure so that we weren't asking such binary questions. And I would ask people, you know, have you ever heard, I'm just using this example because I think everyone can relate with it. Have you ever heard something that nobody else heard? Yes. How often does this happen? Oh, you know, quite often or only not very often, whatever answer. And then I would ask them, hard distressed did that make you feel, right? Because if we heard something that nobody else heard, you'd probably just be like, oh, what was that? And it's mm. gone, right? Transitory. But for other people, it can be quite distressing and it can be quite worrisome. And then, so my thesis was really taking these measures that we use in clinical settings and extending them so that we actually understand what's going on. We're looking at the symptom in much more detail and we're not just asking yes or no questions. And when we do that, can we kind of predict who is at greater risk of developing psychosis developing anxiety developing depression Mm. and you know my belief was that if they heard it frequently and were distressed by it they were most likely at risk of it becoming a clinical problem as opposed to hearing it and not really being distressed by it Mm. so it was quite methodological in nature in that it was a lot of statistics and a lot of kind of analyzing data numbers and Prevalence rates, and then figuring out the best way that we could model these um, that that could be used for intervention purposes. So, basically, it was about asking better questions. We can't just say, "Yeah, this ever happened to you?" Yeah, okay, you know, it's a that's a an episode of psychosis because it's not right. Like it's normal; they're normal experiences. Yeah, Um, but it's when it becomes distressing is when we should probably look at it in a little bit more detail. And there are loads of factors that predict hallucinations, delusions, and, and the, they are called collectively psychotic-like experiences because they're not psychosis, but they are similar to the symptoms that psych- patients with psychosis might experience. Mm. So really looking at that in the general population and seeing if we could determine risk of who might be, you know, at risk of developing a really serious mental health problem by looking mm. at their experiences and hard distress they were by it
0: so see with like uh you were saying like have you heard something like say you said to a random person like say like um they like were like no but then they like sort of believed in what you told them it could be a completely made-up fact would sort of would gullibleness like be a symptom of kind of like i know this is like completely it's not off topic uh, but would gullibleness be like a symptom of schizophrenia do you
1: mean like Sorry, I need you to reframe
0: Because, do you know why, like, people who are schizophrenic, this is just like coming from like general. I don't know if this is like actually research or anything like that, but like, people who are schizophrenic, they're more susceptible to believe in things that they've just heard. And then they obviously like get paranoid about it. Would that, could you say that like people who are like gullible would be sort of it's, like that? Would,
1: so, I wouldn't say gullible because there's probably more cognitive deeper cognitive processes that are going on there and and you know we don't really know why someone who experiences um a hallucination really believes it to be true and others don't and it's most likely how they appraise the situation so it's as opposed to gullibleness it's probably some sort of um emotional regulation and i actually spoke about this on instagram the other day because say if people live alone for example loneliness is a massive predictor of paranoia and, and mm. hallucinations because you know they might hear something and 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 there's no one there to go oh it's nothing right yes yeah. and you kind of need people to 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 burst that bubble now that's not the only cause but they think it's one of the causes trauma is a massive cause of auditory hallucinations and visual hallucinations especially sexual trauma it's a greatest predictor so there's something cognitively that is in process in the experience in a way that someone who does not suffer from schizophrenia would be able to process it, and I maybe want to use the word rationalize because yeah. you know we maybe rationalize that it didn't necessarily happen, whereas someone who is suffering from schizophrenia and that might be able might not be able to do that, and you know I don't really believe in this idea of schizophrenia and and my thesis argues this as well like schizophrenia is a collective term that has been used to describe multiple symptoms it's not one thing and no two patients with schizophrenia would have the same symptoms Mm -hmm. everybody's experience is very very different so i think And this is personal opinion, and it's kind of like a shift that's happening, hopefully, in mental health, is that rather than treating schizophrenia and diagnosing something as schizophrenia, we focus more on the symptoms that they're experiencing. So if someone's having an auditory hallucination, why are they having an auditory hallucination? Do they have a history of past trauma? Did something happen that maybe is causing that kind of like re-experience and symptom? And is there a way that we can treat that? And there's incredible research now going on in Oxford University by a guy called Daniel Freeman, and they're using AI to treat mm. people with hallucinations. So what they do then is they get the person to describe what the voice is like, what the voice sounds like, and they create a simulation. Wow,
0: that'll be scary as fuck.
1: <laughs> it allows the person to confront their voice. Mm-hmm. Right? It allows the person to address the voice because the voices that people with schizophrenia are having are their own thoughts, right? And a lot of patients with schizophrenia can't really comprehend that. They're like, no, it's not, it's not me. You know, something's putting these thoughts in my head. When we when the treatment kind of targets them to accept that it's their thoughts and that they can change it and they can control it and they can address it, then the treatment plans seem to work a little bit. Now there are genetic components to schizophrenia that can increase your likelihood of having schizophrenia.
0: Emma, but- I'm so sorry. I think the internet connection just like went on and off there for a bit. Um <laughs> can you just literally repeat what you said like five seconds ago? Sorry.
1: <laughs> me, where'd you hear me where'd you hear me
0: Um oh god, I just keep on hearing schizophrenia for some reason. And maybe I've got it. <laughs> um... <It's>
1: really... <laughs> 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 well okay I'm saying um there's like loads of different factors that you know some people argue there's genetic component to schizophrenia. Some people argue that there's like a biological physiological component. Oh, yes, 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 yes. It's like you know there's medications that can be used for it. But cognitively, um, cognitive treatments where people can like address their own voices mm-hmm. seems to be working, which kind of tells you that it must be some sort of processing element that's going on that people can't process the thoughts that are happening. Um, and you know, when we look at how trauma affects the brain, if somebody experiences trauma in childhood their 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 kind of neuroplasticity of their brain their brain structure physically changes yeah um, and that kind of revolutionized how we look at mental health so before this if we scan someone a scan the brain of someone with schizophrenia it would look physically different to a brain without schizophrenia mm. so there is that kind of general idea that it was biological and people were born with it because they had a physically different brain structure yeah, but then what we learned was that trauma can physically change the brain, and they done this with rats. They put rats in a cage and they scanned their brain before and they scanned their brain after. And when the rats were traumatized or they experienced a traumatic event, certain areas of their brain changed. Right, the increase in volume, different neurons were firing. So it's so complex that we can't the idea of schizophrenia as a general disorder doesn't make sense because it's so different in every single person which is why you know my thesis kind of argues we should be looking at these symptoms as opposed to the disorder as as a general kind of collective or we're treating this person with schizophrenia no we're treating this person who has auditory hallucinations right because even clinically if you were a clinician and i was a clinician we might disagree on who has schizophrenia mm, right yeah. like, the agreement on what patients have schizophrenia is alarmingly low. Like, there was a massive study done across the UK and America, and like the UK clinicians, the same sample, the same patients. You said 70% of this sample have schizophrenia, right? So, nearly double who met the criteria for schizophrenia. But we could certainly agree on who's hearing voices and who's seeing things and who's paranoid, right? So when you bring it to that level and you treat the symptom, it's much more likely. Like if you treated the symptoms, you wouldn't have schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. It's made up of the symptoms. So yeah, it's it's quite a complex um, phenomenon. And people have many different arguments on how it should be conceptualized, how we should treat it, all of those things. But my kind of thesis argues that we should be looking at the symptom and we should be looking at it in a lot of detail, not just asking people if they had it or not.
0: I think that's uh, brilliant the way you've uh, like described it because it's uh, give me something new to think about. And I'm sure yeah. a lot of other people will be like, wow, I didn't know that about schizophrenia. Because the first thing that you Matt, you sort of think of whenever you hear schizophrenia is people or have fucking demon voices in their head telling them what to do and shit like that so um, yeah. i'm glad you uh summed that up for us perfectly and um, i think that's basically all that i wanted to sort of ask you anyway emma Um for people who want to find you do you have like a blog page or a website or anything like that i
1: don't at the minute i keep threatening to start one um, and
0: <laughs> get those <so> goals set <laughs>
1: <laughs> specific yeah, yeah i just need to the time but um at the minute, I just kind of communicate all of my information on Instagram and workshops. So okay. I've done loads of corporate and over the pandemic, I delivered my workshops to schools, gyms, businesses up and down the country and UK Amazing. and America. Too. And, and so it's great to see people really trying to take hold of their mental health and, and understand it. Because you know what I think like understanding really breeds awareness. And when you're aware of something, you can you can act on it. Yeah, and that's why I think education is such an important part of actually treating mental health problems because we need to know what we're dealing with in order to actually overcome them.
0: Yeah, so, definitely.
1: Yeah, most of it's communicated over Instagram and workshops at the minute, but I, I um, I will start a website one day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll. Uh, well, what I'll do is I'll make sure to put all your uh, links in the description. I know you have another Instagram page as well, don't you? I forget what it's oh, called yeah, sorry
1: balanced perspective that's mostly for my um workshops and things like that so yeah okay, both cool. they'll be linked whatever one you link they're they're linked on each other yeah so yeah no
0: I'll, I'll put both of them in there so people can go and look at your work and stuff like that um because i think it'll be very beneficial especially with people being indoors now well and um, most people are coming out of lockdowns but we don't know how long yeah. that's going to last um no. But yeah, listen, Emma. Thanks very much for coming on. Um, had a lot of fun and learned a lot, and um, definitely would have you on again.
1: Absolutely, just let me know. That's great, and I've enjoyed it too.